Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get going, I want to take a moment to tell you about some exciting news for high school sports fans across the country. SB Live Sports has launched a free iPhone and Android app featuring the latest high school sports news, scores, videos, polls, photos, podcasts, player rankings, and much more. With the SB Live Sports app, it is now even easier to follow your favorite team. With real-time scores and news alerts, as well as video highlights, podcasts, photo galleries, rankings, game coverage, and much more, the app delivers all the content you want in one convenient place. The SB Live Sports app features exclusive content from on-the-ground reporters across the country, and it's the number one source for Washington high school sports fans. With coverage from reporters Todd Mellis and Andy Bueller, me, Dan Dickow, SB Live's recruiting expert, this SB Live Sports app is available at no charge in the Apple App Store and Google Play Store. Download it today. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Out from the deep corner for three. Uh oh. Uh oh. It's on now. Downtown Dan connects. Every morning when I'm working out, I'm listening to your podcast. Keep up the great work. Well, I mean, I've seen Dan Dicko hit some big shots in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> I got to salute you, man. Like, I've been watching you since I was in high school trying to mimic all your moves. Welcome to another episode of the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow, and SB Live Sports on the Believe Podcast Network. Conversations with experts in the field of sports. Today's a college basketball insider, one of the many guys that brings the insights, not just daily, but almost hourly during the college <laughs> basketball season. Uh, when, when we talk hourly, I'm sure he has a countdown to when the season starts. None other than CBS Sports's John Rothstein. John, how is life? And uh, have you caught your breath since the college basketball season ended? It's definitely slowed down a little bit, Dan. But as you know, especially now and today, college basketball is a 365-day-a-year sport. So obviously there's different topics. It's not quite as fast-paced as it was when we had the NCAA tournament going on. But it is nice to, uh, you know, feel like you're reconnecting with other parts of society for a bit. <laughs> other parts of society. Where exactly does that put you? I, I know you're an East Coast guy. Uh, you do a, the majority of your work uh, for CBS Sports. So are you based uh, in New York City or, or where is home for you? Yeah, I live in New York City. So obviously an East Coast centric guy. But as you know, in this business, I've traveled all over the country, including your native Spokane in the past couple of years. You know, Coach Few would always, says he would always like to see more, obviously, presence in Spokane. But, you know, there's a lot of flights, obviously, to get to, uh, to Spokane. I remember the day that I went to Gonzaga practice two years ago. It was the year they had, you know, Rui Hachimura and Brandon Clark. You know how it is. When you're on this beat, you want to cover as much ground as you can. So I remember... I flew from New York to Seattle, like I took a 7 a.m. flight, then I connected to Spokane, went to practice, 
And I wanted to get to Oregon the next day because obviously Oregon and Oregon State were practicing. So I didn't really have time to have dinner or anything in Spokane. And I had to like leave Gonzaga practice, take a flight back to Seattle and then like have to get a flight from Seattle to Eugene. And Coach Few was just like, you got to spend some more time in Spoke Vegas and so on and so forth. And I was like, Coach, you know, I got ground to cover here. East Coasters, especially, you know, people who live in New York only really work up by one clock. And that's the clock at Grand Central Station. <laughs> yeah, well, at some point you're going to have to get back out once, uh, you know, restrictions are eased and lifted and you get to practices. Uh, if you've been to Spokane, but it was that quick, you, you didn't get the full effect. So you didn't get to oh, stay no. at the Davenport. Uh, you didn't get to uh, to go to Jack and Dan's for either no. lunch or a late night event, either one of the two, whichever fits kind of your eye and, and how you like to, uh, you know, partake in, in the great sports bars of the country. So uh, at some point, yeah, you got to get that done. And I'm right there with you as far as Spokane. I love it. I live here. But in the college basketball season, flying, there's no easy in and no easy out. No doubt. No directs from here. No doubt. So what is the countdown like for next college basketball season? Because I follow you on, on Twitter, and uh, obviously it's it's almost uh, up to the day uh, with when college basketball starts if you follow your page. Well, my main focus, Dan, you know, as you know, is being an information guy and a roster guy and a personnel guy. So I'm constantly updating rosters this time of year which is obviously more pronounced because of the new rules that are in place in college basketball so I'm always trying to take inventory of lineups who's going to play where and then this year you know what you have the NCAA giving players as they should you know an additional year of eligibility so I think you're building with all those different types of variables and obviously keeping close tabs on what's going to happen with the NBA draft and that deadline will probably be in early July so I think the next two two and a half months or about just trying to build a skeleton to what next season can look like from a personnel perspective. And then once that starts, probably in early July, I'll really take a dive week by week, conference by conference, just to try to get a feel of what things are going to look like in that specific league. And that's really one of the parts that I love about, you know, this job is just the off season work and the preparation. You know, I think Bob Knight had a great quote, you know, I've got to look it up to make sure it's word for word. But in essence, you know, he said this to me once in an interview I was doing for him. The will to win is useless without the will to prepare to win. And like, I love the job, obviously, as you know, but I love the preparation that goes into the job. And that's one of my favorite parts, you know, kind of really honestly putting together the skeleton of what next season is going to look like. Yeah, your preparation shows uh, when, when you, you watch the interviews that you do or, or the post game kind of back and forth with with guys on the different shows. Uh, you you can see that you've done that preparation work that not a lot of guys do. Um, you. When you're looking at this uh, next upcoming season, oh, well, I guess college basketball as a whole, and you know the landscape as well as anybody, was the Big Ten's quote-unquote flop in the NCAA tournament as big a surprise to you um, as it was to a lot of other national people? I mean, it's a funny dynamic in college basketball because you can be outstanding as a team or as a league in the regular season, and you can, you know, obviously flounder or not live up to expectations in the NCAA tournament, and that's how you're defined. And I know you've lived that as a player, and we've seen that you know, through the years, you know, I remember, you know, in 2005, Syracuse and Jim Beheim had a team that looked like they were primed to go to a Final Four, had just won the Big East tournament on a Saturday at Madison Square Garden. And then the following Friday, they lost in the round of 64 to Vermont. So you think about it, 
you're on a season high on Friday night, cutting down nets at Madison Square Garden. And then six days later, you're at an ultimate low point losing against Vermont. So this is the scenario that there is in the NCAA tournament. And I think, you know, UCLA is a perfect example. I mean, you know, I know from talking to the staff and obviously following a brand name program like UCLA very closely, I mean, it felt like in a lot of ways that Murphy's Law was really hitting this program by Dacian Nix not recruit, you know, really attending school. You know, this is a player that wasn't obviously necessarily a Jalen Suggs caliber point guard, but he was a Jalen Suggs caliber recruit based on where he was obviously forecasted. I mean, he would have had a major impact on UCLA. Then the focus last year on UCLA from a personnel perspective was, well, is Chris Smith going to come back to school? He tears his ACL in late December. And I felt this, and I've talked about this with Mick Cronin and his staff, that last year, you know, watching practice, Jalen Hill was a player defensively that looked like he had next-level potential. So you take away those three players, and you take into account that UCLA lost its final four games of the season. Now, again, they had chances to win those games, but they still lost them. And then they have, I think, one of the great NCAA tournament runs of our lifetime and their season is a smashing success. Whereas, you know, a team, okay. Like an Ohio state that had an unbelievable regular season, but loses to oral Roberts has a different taste in his mouth, in their mouth. So it's, it's the greatness of the NCAA tournament. And, you know, I remember vividly being in the studio just as you were this year when I was in the bubble in studio 44, you know, watching Mike Krzyzewski's press conference when Duke lost to Lehigh in 2012. And he says, there's incredible highs in this tournament and there's incredible lows. And that's just the way it is. Yeah, there are incredible highs and lows. And, and as you mentioned, as a player, I've been in on both ends of the spectrum. You've seen both ends of, of the spectrum as, as an analyst that follows the game closely. I was able to call games that first two rounds for Westwood one radio. So I was in Indianapolis. You were there the whole time yeah. covering games I've tried to explain this to a few people how different it felt. I mean, it was yeah. still the NCAA tournament, but it was different. Yep. What was what was your experience like and how do, how do you describe it? Well, you know, for me, it was different because I was in a different tier for the entire time, which, you know, because I was, you know, we were, we were talking it on air almost, almost every day doing reports from the bubble. So I was in the bubble, you know, a couple of days prior to Selection Sunday and for 25 days, the only places I could be were in my hotel room, the Indianapolis Convention Center, which was great because all the teams were practicing there or, you know, on site as a game. But, you know, we kind of found out that, you know, in order to see the tournament to track storylines, that there was an injury and also to see, you know, coaches and players, it was best to stay in the convention center so we didn't miss anything. So I, that is the equivalent of pretty much you being in the room that you're in right now or being in another location from now until like May 11th. And that's what it was like. And, you know, again, like I got into a rhythm, I got into a routine. It was just a little bit unique. You know, some days, let's just say, you know, there wasn't games and, you know, there's always stuff to work on. You can work on your phone. You know, I do a podcast as well. So there's always stuff to work on. But at the end of the day, you know, you would get up, you'd get your COVID test. It'd be like 745, you'd have breakfast and you say, you know what? I'm not going to leave this room today. <laughs> and like, cause you know, that's what I don't think people understand. Like you couldn't go for a walk. You couldn't be in a situation where you were kind of out roaming about the bubble because of the tier that I was in, you know, I had to obviously stay confined to those areas, but I'm just so grateful to our bosses at CBS sports for giving me the platform and the opportunity to be on the tournament coverage. Cause 
it was an incredible opportunity and one that I will never forget. Yeah, I can only imagine if you're that confined to a couple spaces where you have to do your work and do it at, at a high level like you do, uh, it's something you're not going to forget. Now, take away UCLA. You already kind of mentioned their their impressive run. Was there a storyline in the NCAA tournament that you gravitated to that you really were um, impressed by? Well, I think there's a number of them. And, you know, I'm not just steering this to Gonzaga, but, you know, I felt like as the tournament wore on, you know, I think we were wondering if somebody would be able to push Gonzaga to the brink. And we saw UCLA do that and Baylor do that. I think you already hit on it with the Big Ten. And I also thought it was interesting, you know, just how momentum, I think, is different in the NCAA tournament sometimes when you have a power conference team win a conference tournament. Now, it wasn't that case, obviously, for Georgetown, but for all intents and purposes, it was for Oregon State, who made it all the way to the Elite Eight, obviously, before being in a situation where they lost to Houston. So, you know, I think that the great thing about the NCAA tournament, and it's also, again, something that's heartbreaking, is, you know, it comes down to one or two plays. And I go back to Ohio State, again, a team that, you know, was inches away, in my opinion, from, you know, beating Oral Roberts, a team that, you know, could have won a Big Ten title, didn't have Kyle Young healthy. And then, you know, their season is ended, you know, in the most excruciating form. So I think, you know, steering back to the situation with the Big Ten, I think you look at Ohio State, you look at, you know, Illinois, I think it's two different teams that, again, bowed out early. But, you know, again, you know, a couple of days prior, we're playing for a conference championship. I'm always interested and curious how people get into their chosen profession. Uh, obviously, I played. Uh, I had a broadcasting degree at Gonzaga. I kind of battled, bounced back and forth between coaching or broadcasting. The broadcasting won out because I can kind of handle my own schedule a little bit more than being a head coach or even an Absolutely. assistant where you have no control over it. How did you get into this business? And uh, was there a break, maybe a big break that really kind of opened up the floodgates for you uh, to get to the level that you're at? Well, how long is your podcast? Do you have 30 minutes or do you have three hours? Because this has been a long, long road and I still have such a long way to go to get where I dream to go. But, you know, when I was in college, I uh, worked for a number of different newspapers, you know, as a college student and, you know, was fortunate enough to intern at the Yes Network in New York. And I convinced my boss there to let me do some college basketball work because that's where I really had my backbone and foundation. So did some recruiting stuff, did some mock draft stuff, covered the NBA draft in 2003 and 2004. And I finished college in three years. So I was 20 years old when I finished college and had done a lot of radio, some television, and then a lot, a lot of writing. And college basketball was really, you know, my, my passion. But I also, you know, had obviously a background in broadcasting and radio and television. So about four months after graduation in 2004, I entered a spinoff of ESPN's dream job, but it was for the ESPN radio affiliate in New York. So I'm like just a young guy, 20, 21 years old. And I find out I'm in the final four of this competition. There was, you know, maybe like a thousand or 1500 entrants. I make it to the final four. I win. So all of a sudden I'm getting, you know, airtime at the ESPN radio affiliate in New York and I'm, you know, commuting into the city. I grew up about, you know, maybe an hour outside in the suburb. And in addition to that, I was also working part-time, you know, for my friend's brother's real estate company, like making cold calls for him. It was like, Glenn, I was like living in Glen Gary, Glen Ross. That's what it was like. 
And, you know, I saw obviously that it was going to take other things to make a career of this. So in addition to that, I did a lot of other freelance writing for college basketball. I, you know, did some stuff for FoxSports.com and Scout and a number of weekly papers, you know, covering college basketball and some recruiting and things like that. And then with some of the money that I was making from all these different, you know, avenues, I bought my own radio show at a small station in Westchester County, which is a suburb of New York, you know, probably one dentist's office probably got this radio station. But I used the Rolodex that I had from working at ESPN Radio to kind of try to build up the show. So it was a weekly show, but like I would have Billy Donovan on one week. I would have Bill Self on one week. I would have like Antoine Jameson on from the Washington Wizards. So that was kind of like, you know, really a backbone of my climb. So I did this show, which again, I was paying for. I was literally writing a checkout to a radio station. I was buying airtime and I did it for a year and I got a call from the drive time. Uh, the drive time slot was open at the ESPN radio affiliate in Philadelphia. And they're like, we want you to come audition. So I go down there and I audition. Don't get that job. Then I was up for a reporter job at WGN Radio in Chicago, which was a big radio station in Chicago. Don't get that job. Then I was went up to Boston for an update uh, job opportunity at the ESPN Radio affiliate in Austin in Boston. I don't get that job, and I'm still doing all the other stuff to try and like make ends meet because at the same time I'm in my like early 20s. I'm sleeping on futons in New York, trying to be like a young professional because you know you want those things in your life too at the time. But my career didn't align with that. So then where I was working in New York, ESPN Radio New York said, like, you know what? We have a weekend update job open. It was Saturdays and Sundays from three to midnight, which, you know, was a great opportunity. You know, you're on the radio in New York and you're doing updates every 20 minutes. You know, we want to offer it to you. So I was stoked about that. So I do that and I'm still writing. I'm still working my other jobs, trying to make things work. And then in 2007, a regional television network in New York, the MSG network, Madison Square Garden network, needed a college basketball guy. So I went in, had never done really TV before, did probably five to seven appearances through conference tournaments and the NCAA tournament. And I got hired full time the following year. So I was, that was my first kind of full-time broadcasting position. So I did that for three years. And then in 2010, CBS Sports, prior to the partnership with Turner, if you remember this, you know, CBS Sports used to just have one game on TV yeah. and they would have like, you know, a, sometimes like the screen would be split in four based on the market. So they had a venture called March Madness on Demand, which is if you were watching a game on demand, you would then see obviously a halftime online that was produced. And, you know, that was a scenario that I was able to be a part in. So that was my introduction to the CBS family. So from there... I see a scenario where CBS College Sports, which you know, is now CBS Sports Network, you know, brought me on the following year, which was the 2010-2011 season. And that led to other opportunities, you know, in print at CBSSports.com, which I left for a company called FanRag Sports uh, that's no longer an obviously operation. I did some work at Sports Illustrated. I've done articles for the New York Times, and I've obviously led to my podcast and has also led to, you know, opportunities at CBS Sports as well, in addition to CBS Sports Network. So that's kind of the genesis of everything. But, you know, the, the, what I kind of tell people is like when I got the job at MSG, I was just like, you know, I've got to own the Northeast. That's when the Big East was the Big East. And, you know, a lot of my friends at that time, you know, we were in our 20s 
they were like, you know, taking trips to Puerto Vallarta and they were taking trips to South Beach. And I saved my money that like most people were doing for vacation. And I would drive to AAU tournaments and practices and network with coaches and sit and spend long hours in the gym cultivating relationships. And, you know, I still do. I mean, this was different, obviously, with COVID this past year. But I still like, you know, financed my way to like, you know, 35, 40 practices a year because I get a lot more out of that than anything else. When you're in the gym, you're watching practice, you're spending time. That's where really relationships are built. I know a lot of people love going to the AU tournaments and schmoozing, but I've always been a big practice guy. And that's, you know, really the backbone and the foundation of everything. Like there's really no magic wand or anything, you know, else. It's just been, you know, the secret in obviously my path and my journey has been in the work. And, you know, I've never had, you know, my mother, my father, my aunt, my uncle, or anybody make a call for me to get ahead in this. And, you know, that's really what I'm most proud of. Have you ever had a pair of sunglasses that you've lost and become frustrated you lost them, that were scratched, or just quite frankly didn't fit very well? Well, look no more. Canon sunglasses are the best. I repeat, the best. You will not be disappointed in Canon sunglasses. They are made exclusively with polarized lenses for optimal clarity. They're made to be clearer, lighter, and stronger. They're also Italian handcrafted frames that are impossible to scratch. So you add the lenses and the frames to create a powerful sunglass combo. Use the exclusive code KANONCAST15 at KANON.com to receive 15% off your first pair. That's K-A-E-N-O-N-C-A-S-T-1-5. KANON, clearly better. Yeah, lots of hard work, lots of dedication, and and, uh, a word that comes to mind when hearing that early part of your journey is one of Coach Few's favorite words, stick-to-itiveness. You, you kind of had a vision, you had a goal, you had uh, a dream of what you wanted to do, and you stuck to it until you got those breaks and you were prepared, you made the most of it. When you look back over the time um, of, of building these relationships, of going to events, is there a certain coach or two that stand out to you that um, maybe separate themselves because of, maybe how good a person they are, or maybe they're the total package, or you really are impressed with the way they run a program. I think the unique thing about this beat, Dan, is every coach is, you know, his own different or her own different, you know, individual personality. And that's what really makes it unique for us to cover college basketball. I mean, you have Coach Few, who, again, you know, you know this better than I do, but it seems like he's totally comfortable leaving his phone on the kitchen table and going to the movies with his family or going out on his boat, you know, and just kind of enjoying life. Like a lot of coaches aren't wired like that. But the the one thing I will say, and the one thing I'm most grateful for is probably the time I got to spend early on with coach Calhoun at Connecticut, because I don't know if you've, you know, ever spent time in stores because it's so far away from Spokane, but you know, every time you drive there, you just marvel because in a lot of ways, it is kind of like, you know, Gonzaga, that this tiny school became obviously the power that it is. And, you know, every time I remember I would go watch a practice in Gamble, I would count 
the, not the national championships, but the Big East championships when the Big East was the Big East that Connecticut won. And I always marvel at the number. It was 17 Big East regular season and tournament titles. And this, I think, sums it up, you know, interestingly, you'll appreciate this. You remember this coach Calhoun, you know, obviously did some work in broadcasting after he was coaching and he did a lot of Big Ten games. So, you know, we happened to bump into each other at a Maryland practice after he was done coaching. And, you know, we're watching practice together. It was the year where Turge had Anthony Cowan and Mello Trimble. So he was like working on, you know, pairing them together. And I'm sitting there and I'm watching Maryland practice with Jim Calhoun, you know, Hall of Famer, three national championships. And because I spent the time every year driving and, you know, to practice. And I always tell people this, and it's a quote that, you know, I love, you can never be overeducated or overdressed. And Mark Few might not agree with this, but every single time that I go into a gym for a practice, I wear a suit and tie because I'm representing CBS Sports. And I'm also always, you know, going to be my, my parent's son, which is most important. And, you know, I just, Coach Calhoun came over to me at practice. And then like, you know, I was like, hey, Coach, good visit with you. And he goes, where are you going now? And I have a friend I grew up with who's married, who I don't see that much, who lives in the Baltimore area. I was like, well, I'm staying in Baltimore. I'm going to meet up with a buddy. He's like, good, I'm going to get a ride with you. So it's like rush hour right now on the Beltway. And I've got Jim Calhoun in my car. And like, you know, rush hour, obviously, in like the Baltimore, D.C. area, it's not always a pleasant experience. And like, he is kind of like, you know, steering me like about, you know, where to go, like getting this lane, so on and so forth. And like, we're also trading, you know, war stories. He's just telling me, you know, tales of his journey. And it's just fascinating. And I was just kind of like saying, you know, in my head, like, I can't believe like this is where things have evolved to now. And I remember this, too. You know, I haven't spent that much time with him. I haven't spent you know, really because he's in the NBA right now. But I will say this. Damn, we got a little echo going on right now. Can you hear me fine now? Now you're good. Now you're good. Okay. Now you're good. Now you're good. So, so I remember. No, I'm still got the echo. I'll turn my – there. How's it now? Any better? Good. Because I hear you yeah, just have no echo. I think we're good. Okay. I haven't spent that much time with Billy Donovan because he's been in the NBA in quite some time, but Billy was always a very deep thinker and is a very deep thinker. And he always had a great perspective beyond basketball, probably similar to coach few, you know, that, you know, we should work hard to build the best program we can. We want to win a national title, but you know, it's not going to ultimately define, you know, obviously our lives and it shouldn't. But Billy, uh, Billy Donovan, I remember in an interview I said once, said, you know, you know, the, the, the chase is important, but the process of becoming what you're supposed to become is much more rewarding than the moment of when you get where you dream to go. And I just think I've done a much better job. And that, you know, instance, an example with Coach Calhoun is a perfect example of just enjoying the path a little bit more because, you know, we're all you've you know dealt with this as a player and as a broadcaster too we're all chasing 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 and we want the next thing we want this assignment we want this game we want this show we want this story and the truth is none of it is going to make us more complete as a person and i'll tell you another story in 2017 january 8th 2017 you know I wasn't supposed to be working uh, on a sideline for a UConn game, but I believe Jamie Erdahl, our colleague, wasn't able to work. So Ben Stauber, our great boss and surrogate rabbi, you know, asked uh, 
asked me to work on this game. It was a Sunday. I said, sure. And then it snowed the day before. So I, you know, drove up from New York to, you know, I planned to drive up to New York to Connecticut. It was about two and a half hours, but it snowed the day before. And I was on the Merritt Parkway in Connecticut and I hit black ice and I lost control of the car. And I went into the left guardrail at about 60, 65 miles an hour. I pulled my e-brake. I did a 180 in the middle of the parkway, had another car coming. You know, I obviously wouldn't be on this podcast with you, but I flipped. I did a 180 in the middle of the highway and I went to the other guardrail. My car was in a million pieces and, you know, the airbag cracked me. They said at like 150 miles an hour and I messed up my ribs and I was, I'm fortunate enough to be alive. And I only, you know, walked out of it with a couple of fractured ribs, but that experience totally changed my perspective on everything. It's a little bit over four years from now. And I look at the situation you know, now from that experience, and I kind of realized I was like, you know, it's good to have, you know, I think goals and aspirations in life. And it's good that, you know, we should chase those and they make us better. But at the same time, I think when that's all you're focused on, you miss other things in life that, again, I think I was kind of passing by because I was so focused on the climb, the climb, the climb. And I think in the last four years, I've done a much better job at enjoying other things that I think I wasn't allowing myself to enjoy because I was so consumed with the process. So, you know, that was definitely, you know, probably one of the lowest points I went through because you literally see your mortality flash in front of you. But it also opens your mind a little bit to say, like, you know what? Seasons are going to come. Shows are going to come. Assignments are going to come. Stories are going to come. But if that's really all you're focused on, it's going to be a pretty empty life. Those are some outstanding stories and insight and i had no idea so uh, uh glad things worked out well and it wasn't a fatal crash because uh, we would not be having this conversation obviously as a college basketball insider um what are you hearing about the evaluation periods now that the ncaa is saying june 1 we're pretty much back to normal but that doesn't necessarily give any clearance on the evaluation periods which is so important or for colleges to evaluate and begin the recruiting process? Well, you know, I saw the NCAA's release yesterday. You know, I've got a number of close contacts that I'm going to reach out to here in the next couple of days to find out what that means. You know, I think that people are planning in some way, shape or form to have events, what the attendance is going to be. You know, I don't think we know yet. I think, you know, all of us are obviously encouraged by the increased vaccination rates and so on and so forth. But we have some breaking news here, Dan, right now. Right let's, here. Let's on hear your it. You're one of the insiders. All right. Well, this is why we're on right now. Kyle Young is returning to Ohio State next season. Let me just get the tweet out. We're 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 uh, double duty here. I love it. You're live tweeting, updating your insiders while on the podcast. That's great. So now we have Kyle Young going back to Ohio State using his extra year. This is a massive new, massive news for the Big Ten, and I think massive news in general for college basketball. Now, potentially, if EJ Liddell comes back, we could have a scenario where you have an EJ Liddell, Kyle Young, four or five for Chris Holtman. They were in the top five before this. They're going to stay obviously there beyond. This is a massive development right now for Ohio State. Live on your podcast, I just literally got the alert. That's great. That's awesome. So obviously you're going to, you'll, you'll hear more in the next few days because there's no concrete ideas on the evaluation periods. 
Um, let's wrap up with what are your what's your outlook for college basketball next season? Uh, hit on a couple topics for me if you don't mind. What you think it's going to look like with fans next year? Who your preseason number one is, and who's your preseason player of the year? Knowing that there's still a lot of movement uh, in the portal as well as maybe guys declaring for the NBA draft. I think it's a little early right now to do like preseason player of the year and that stuff. I mean, obviously if Drew Timmy comes back to school, I think Drew Timmy will be the preseason player of the year. I think when I look right now, the way things look right now, especially with the news we just talked about with Kyle Young, I think, you know, you'd have to say probably the top five that I know I have. And again, this is changing every day with personnel. I think Gonzaga, UCLA, Villanova, Purdue, Ohio State, all look like a pretty safe top five. You know, people and, you know, we're all guilty to some extent, want to talk about incoming freshmen and incoming freshmen, I think, can raise a ceiling. But the foundation, as you know, of why a team is really good is because of returning personnel. So you look at it, obviously, Gonzaga is going to lose Suggs, Ayayi, Kispert, you know, and then you look at UCLA, they should, you know, the only guy that they might lose is Johnny Juzang. They should bring everybody back and add a McDonald's All-American and Peyton Watson. So that team, I think, has got to be obviously at the top of the list. Villanova as well, and then Ohio State and Purdue, if everything can remain intact. Love it. John, I appreciate the time. Uh, I would definitely want to get you back on the podcast maybe uh, in the fall as we're ramping up. You've done all your prep with all the leagues, uh, and we're both kind of knee-deep in in, – getting our schedules that would be great to have you rejoin at that point so thank you for uh for spending some time i love the fact that you broke some news while we were recording because that is where you're one of the best at in all of this business so thanks again for joining thanks dan appreciate having me on great to have you as a teammate in the cbs sports family we'd love to do it again The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.